It's a smaller knit group because I'm trying to build relationships between people, not just, again, have somebody down for a weekend to shoot a deer and everybody celebrate and go home. And you watch them grow and you watch them grow and you watch them grow. And then about three weeks before the season, they just stop. They just stop coming out. And I'm not kidding. It was probably less than 10 minutes before you hear, and you just hear, they say, well, you know, can you eat that? And I'm like, absolutely. I I thought the same way until I tried one and they're absolutely delicious. The most important thing is your attitude. If you're not having fun and showing that you're not having fun, the person that's with you is not going to be having fun. This is Jamie Shara with the Hunter Recruitment Project, and you're listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. I would rest at peace for eternity if my legacy was that I made a positive influence on the non-hunting public about what hunters are and what hunting is. I finally got my buck on our last real day of hunting. So a pro-hunting organization is voting against hunting. And that says anti-hunting to me. There was a year straight where I was averaging up to 200 death threats a day. And I hugged it. Like, I just wanted to hug a bear. It's proven that the average steak in a grocery store touches 50 to 100 hands and machines. And we're putting that into our body. Hey, y'all, Cable Smith, host of the Lone Star Outdoors show here. This is Adam Weatherby. I'm Corey Jacobson of Elk 101. This is Christy Titus. Hey, folks, this is John Bear. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative, brought to you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, y'all, today on the podcast, I have the one and only Jamie Shiras straight out of Georgia here uh, to talk a little bit about Hunter Recruitment and the Hunter Recruitment Project. We're going to have a good chat and see where it takes us. Thanks for hopping on, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's a kind of a, sh- kind of a short notice here. So I was really, really <laughs> glad I had the gap in the schedule to, to put it all together. Yeah, it was great. Baker, uh, I was Baker's like, Hey man, I got all these great people that I want to introduce you to. And I was like, well, I got this opening on, uh, I got this opening Wednesday morning. If you know anyone, he's like, Oh, like three seconds later, he shot me your name. So I'm like, all right, all right. Hey, right place, right like, time. We've hunted together on multiple continents and he's a good guy and he'll, uh, he'll talk your ear off. So, so just the kind of guest I need. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he, we've, we've spent a lot of time in the woods together. Um, and, and yeah, we've hunted in Africa, South America and in the, in North America. So it's been, uh, been a lot of travel. 
with us. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So I always like to kick things off with just kind of an introduction of who you are, but especially how did you get introduced to the outdoors? Like yep. what, what got you into hunting and all this? Yeah. So give you a little background. Um, I grew up in South Georgia on a commercial oil plantation. Um, my grandfather was um, a big time uh, wild quail hunter. My dad as well. Um, my dad actually thought he was uh, Davy Crockett for a while, and, <laughs> and 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 literally like I think at one point when he was eleven or twelve, left the house for like ten days or something, and no one knew where he was. I didn't. I mean, I have phones or anything back then, and came back and. Um, you know, he just literally left with his uh, shotgun and and uh, his, his uh, traditional bow and went out in the woods. And I don't think he had any success. I think it was like during the summer, too. So it was pretty <laughs> terrible timing and wasn't a lot of forethought from a uh, you know, 11 or 12 year old. But um, he lived it, man. He wore moccasins uh, out in the woods. He he absolutely loved it. And that's that's where I got, you know, my love for the outdoors from. I was. um you know, my dad was put on babysitting duty and, uh, that was taking us to the deer stand, uh, as we were very little, little children, like in a stroller still. Um, I think I was a, a year and a half when I went on my first deer hunt. Um, and, um, I killed my first deer when I was six years old, uh, six pointer. I remember I was dead asleep in the stand. My dad woke me up and he already had the rifle laid across his lap kind of pointing away from me, kind of facing towards the deer. And he gave me a little elbow nudge and hey, wake up. There's a deer. He's like, don't move, don't move, but there's a deer. And there's a six pointer, probably like 85 yards away. And literally I kind of like woke up, picked my head up. It's like, Oh God, I see him. Like put my hand right on the rifle. I think I moved it like, you know, six inches, <laughs> took a shot, deer fell over backwards. And it was like, you know, that was it. I was dialed. But yeah, I grew up same uh, we, we, we camped, we've camped all over the U S we, that that's, that's what we did. If, if, you, if you weren't watching football or it wasn't a holiday, you were either hunting or you're getting ready to hunt, prepping the woods, putting up stands, planting food plots, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but when I graduated, uh, high school, I went to university of Georgia, go dogs. And, uh, <laughs> that it's about four, four hours away from where I grew up. Um, and, to get a little tangent here, I, I lost hope scholarship, which in Georgia pays for your, for your, for your education. Uh, and when I went to school, it paid for everything uh, except for housing. So it paid for all books, tuition, et cetera. And um, so I called my dad. I was like, Hey, uh, you know, lost hope, you know, what am I going to do? And he's like, well, I mean, it sounds like you either need to get a job to pay for school or uh, you can come home and work. And at so either either life, way, basically get a job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, get a job, you bum. And um, I, I knew at that point in my life, I was, you know, obviously rebellious, 18, 19 year old. You know, I'm not, I wasn't going to go home. Um, that was just not an option for me. So got a job working in a bar. Um, that was a full-time job, even only working three or four days. I started managing and, you know, all holidays, um, every weekend I worked and really got away from any type of outdoor activity. Um, I was making good money and making good money was fun. And for four or five years, I really kind of stayed away from the outdoors. And we moved to, I moved to Atlanta after school, opened up our first restaurant here, 
and I'm still in that industry. That's, that's the primary industry that I'm in is restaurant and bar industry. And, um, about five Christmases ago, I think it was, um, I'd spend more and more time going home and just hanging out with my family. Uh, I missed a lot of family time for like eight or nine years just working. And so I'm um, just hanging out with my parents, you, you know, those they're getting older. Uh, I'm getting older. Priorities start to change a little bit. And I don't know what I was doing. I think, you know, it was kind of like the rise of when Instagram and hunting really started to kind of take foot. And so I'm starting to see all this stuff on social media and, um, I just kind of like lit a little fire and, and I, I really didn't have a lot of interest in, in deer hunting with a rifle anymore um, for big bucks because I'd done it. And, you know, I'd never killed a monster buck, but I'd killed a lot of 140, 150 inch, you know, 10 pointers, 11, 12, eights, you know, really good deer. Um, and I, you know, I mean, I'm pretty decent shot. So, I mean, I could literally get in a pine tree a hundred feet up in the air in a climbing stand and see like, you know, a mile. And, you know, it just wasn't really that much of a, a sport for me. Um, but I gotten into fishing a lot. Turkey hunting was always still there. So I still always made time in the spring mm-hmm. to go home for turkey hunting. That was, and that was kind of a special thing. Me and my dad had, my brother doesn't care about turkey hunting. No one else I knew really turkey hunting. My dad was just, that was his deal. So it's kind of my deal. Um, but I bought a bow. Um, about, like I said, five or six years ago. And I'd had a bow in, in high school. My brother actually took it to college with him and sold it, uh, for, for, uh, for money when he was in college <laughs> and, um, gotta love brothers. And, uh, oh, man. so I, I buy a bow, I buy a bow and, um, I get it all set up, get everything right. You know, I practiced a lot, What I thought was a lot was not a whole lot. Um, I'm sitting in the deer stand the first night with the bow. First afternoon is Thanksgiving and probably 150 inch 10 pointer walks 15 <laughs> yards from me, but it was just dark enough and I didn't have luminescent pins and I just couldn't see anything. And I had not felt that excitement. Like, and I spent a ton of time like scouting the stand, you know, getting my cameras out in the woods, like look, just trying to get everything out. And it lit a fire in me that is only gotten apparently hotter and brighter in the last four or five years, but, um, that lit me on fire. So that whole Christmas I was at home, I was hunting and had shot a lot more. Uh, and I actually, uh, spot and stalked maybe the same deer. I, I'm, I can't be sure, but I'm, I'm fairly certain it was the same deer. And I got within about 40 yards and, uh, spot and stalking whitetails is, is kind of a, crazy thing and um so uh especially in south georgia they're like super turned on super crazy animals and so i I raise up i draw and as soon as i let go you know he string jumps me and at 40 yards uh mature deers they're gonna they're gonna get moving and i I shot completely over his back and that was it i mean that attempt kind of locked me in and so long story short um it's kind of been in my blood my whole life. It's something I've always done. I mean, I remember uh, like when I was a little kid, our job was to clean out the dog kennels, right? So we had 45 to 55 bird dogs at any time. Um, and so we cleaned up a lot of poop and that was our like contribution to the family business. So, you know, we were in it. Awesome. So 
now then how did you and uh how did you and baker meet uh because yeah. that then takes us into the hunter recruitment product project so there's a company a beverage company which some people may have heard of called Killcliff, and Killcliff is a post uh, workout recovery drink and uh they've now gotten big into the cbd business um joe rogan has a flavor with them uh so i helped start that company um back in 2011 i think is when i came on and so in the beginning it was todd the founder it was me uh baker uh a guy named gw a guy named michael um who also is uh in with the hunter recruitment project and uh two or three other people, super small company. Baker was the guy that was out on the road. Um, like I think he drove across the country three times in one year. Like <laughs> he went like South, like middle and then North, like back and forth across the country. And I got somehow handed the operations directory job. And I did, I mean, I was 23 or four. I didn't even know what that meant at the time, <laughs> but um my job was to make sure Baker had all the stuff that he needed to be successful at all these events he was going to. And there was like all these little CrossFit events all over the U S um, and he was, I think he was at like half of them uh, in, in one year. And my job was to make sure I ship stuff ahead of time to these gyms, like t-shirts and all that. And then all of a sudden I got like, I was having to do production and all this. So Baker and I worked uh, hand in hand for shoot like four years. I mean, like talk every day on the phone. Um, and it was very similar to the relationship I have with my brother. And the fact that, you know, we just kind of rode each other's ass nonstop about everything all the time. And <laughs> it just became really good friends. And, uh, obviously, you know, I would take him hunting. We would go hunting. We went, uh, one year we went hunting bird hunting in South America. Um, and that kind of, you know, was really the impetus to us, hunting a lot. Um, he, he had hunted a little bit when he grew up, um, uh, but didn't have the same kind of background that I did in hunting. And so there was a lot of stuff I was kind of helping teach him. And, and, um, it was a really cool experience for, for both of us, I think. So then, uh, how does that turn into the Hunter recruitment project? And, and tell us a little bit about what that is and the idea behind it. Yeah. Yeah, so the Hunter Recruitment Project is simply as stated. Uh, it's a project that we started to recruit hunters into, uh, you know, this world. Um, one one thing that's a little bit different, uh, or a couple things that's a little bit different. We focus on adults. Um, there's a lot of uh, different programs for kids out there. Uh, my thought in in focusing on adults is that a kid we can take him hunting one time, but they don't really have the wherewithal, the ability to make decisions to go back. Uh, they don't have income, they don't have jobs, or you know, they're, they're kids, right? And so, how can I latch you know my wagon to someone who has the ability, has the desire, has the financial wherewithal to go hunting and to 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 get out there and, and have the time off to go do these things? Um, two, we we really focus on an immersive weekend. So it's not come down, wake up, we go sit and stand, you shoot a deer, high five, see you later. Um, we're creating mentor mentee relationships. So you're paired with a mentor, uh, sometimes multiple, everybody's on the same email thread, everybody's on the same text thread. It's a smaller knit group because I'm trying to build relationships between people. Um, not just again, have somebody down for a weekend to shoot a deer and, and, and everybody celebrate and go home. Um, uh, the last thing is that there's a lot of 
additional educational components. So, you know, we've had seal snipers teaching people how to shoot. We've had showing people how to hang stands, um, how to properly hang stands safely. We've done, you know, some outdoor survival skill stuff. We've had green beret that that's, that's a, it's a medic come and teach people, you know, how to, how to, take care of someone in, in the incident that you have a traumatic, traumatic incident out, out in the outdoors. And so there's a whole lot of other hands-on educational components that isn't again, just kind of hunt camp, hanging out, um, you know, skinning deer, processing deer, all those things. That's awesome. So, uh, is this something that, that you guys look actively are looking for people? Are you like reach out to them? Do people find it and apply? Like what's the whole experience for someone coming out? Yeah. So right now uh, it's, it's by um, nomination. So we invited an original group of people and each one of them are nominating someone to come. And that's the way that we're building it again, because it's really focused on relationships. Um, and so we're trying to keep, create a network of people that are all, you know, that, that are just once removed from the group before they're once removed, they're once removed. Um, part of that's by design. Part of that's also because of resources, right? There's, there's only a couple of us um, and there's limited amount of weekends. And so in the next couple of years, figuring out how to scale that into additional states with additional camps with additional people is going to be the way that we grow this mission even further. And at that point it would be application based. Um, but I always say this too: um, anybody that wants to take someone hunting, you know, you're part of the hunter recruitment project. I mean, at the end of the day, like there's no, you know, there might not be a title. We've got a, a guy that works for a company uh, I met through a company called Sorenex, uh, Taylor Quick. He lives in Mississippi he takes people every year. He just reached out. Uh, I met him at an event like two years ago. He reached out. I was like, Hey man, I really love what you guys are doing. I've been taking people hunting, you know, let me know if I can help in any way. Right. And I'm like, dude, just keep doing what you're doing. Tag us in your post. Like, you know, let's, let's keep this thing going. Let's show other people kind of how we do this thing. I, I know for me, and I'm sure it's, it's the same most everywhere. Um, and I, I think, you kind of said it at the beginning and I also read on your website when you're getting into this hunting ordeal. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a huge <laughs> undertaking. Um, and unfortunately there's a lot of people out there that are not interested in getting people into the sport because it takes resources away from them. Um, which in my opinion is a scarcity mindset. You know, we've got, so much opportunity in the U S and there's so many avenues in which people can hunt and, and be successful in hunting. And, you know, the more money we have in the sport, the more money we have for conservation, the more opportunity we have in the future. I mean, it's like, it's kind of a linear thing to me. So I don't understand why we wouldn't want to get more people into hunting, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, 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 uh, it's kind of something that's always been a part of, of, the way I grew up, my dad always took people hunting. We had, you know, programs for kids at our school that could come out to the farm and, you know, teach them how to shoot a gun, teach them how to skin a rabbit, teach them how to shoot clays, teach them, you know, just very mm -hmm. basic, you know, outdoor stuff. Um, and so for me, that's, it's kind of been a, a calling and, and I, I was taking people hunting a couple of years ago and Baker and I were having people reach out 
you know, just kind of out of the blue, Hey man, I was, you know, saw you here. Uh, you know, what kind of bow do you use? I'd like to get into bow hunting. What do you, you know, what camo, why this, why that? And, and I started realizing like all these questions are from people that actually don't hunt at all. Mm-hmm. And so, um, let me not only take a lot of time and attention with these people and actually answer their questions thoroughly and say, Hey, you know, you got a second to jump on the phone or here's eight links, or here's a great article from, you know, whatever, here's Dudley school of knock. I think I've sent that thing out like 40 times to people that mm-hmm. are trying to get into bow hunting. I'm like, follow this 12 week program. You will be able to shoot a bow accurately. If you follow it to the T I still do it to this day. Um, and so, <clears throat> you know, as, as it just developed, I don't honestly remember the exact kind of inception point, but we both were sitting there. We're like, Hey man, like, I think this is, I, I was really searching for what can my value add be to the outdoor, outdoor network. Right. Um, I, I have full-time job. I, I you know, I, I'm kind of sucked into that whole world. How do I add value to the brands and the companies that are, you know, being in conservation and, and how do I add value back to them? And, and, and my only thought is, Hey, put more people in the woods. It's, I get so frustrated because I mean, you've touched on it. There's so many people out there with that scarcity mindset and that, you know, they're just like, we're going down with the ship, you know, we're going yeah. to, it, it just, it drives me nuts because those are then also the same people that, uh, are posting the most offensive things they're driving away, driving people away from hunting. And it kills me on a daily basis. And I, I understand like we need to, to some extent, we need to be careful with how we introduce people to hunting and how they're brought in and that they're taught to do things in an, in a legal and ethical manner, because yeah, you, you know, so often it's really easy just to be like, Oh yeah, everyone needs to go hunting, go get your hunter safety and get out in the woods. It's like, that's a, a terrible idea <laughs> for a yep. lot of people. 100%. I mean, yeah. it's you how, no experience handling firearms or anything yeah. or being, it's just being in the woods. I mean, you exactly. freaking roll your ankle and break your ankle out in the middle of the woods and you literally have zero survival experience. You don't even understand basics of, of how to fix that. Like you're in a pretty bad position right off the rip. Uh, and yeah. it happens all the time. Or you got someone walking through the woods with a, a chambered round and the finger on the trigger and the safety off and who knows? Somebody's got a strutter strutter on their head. Oh dear heavens. I don't even I don't shot. even want to talk about those things, man. I'm like, uh, do yeah. do what you will, man. Turkey hunting, you would never think it, but I swear turkey hunting has to be like the most dangerous form of hunting there is. You can public land turkey turkey hunting is pretty pretty aggressive. <laughs> I'm like, man, give me a give me a trad bow and a grizzly bear before you you send me public land turkey hunting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've 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 been in North Georgia public land a, a good bit, and I have had people push in and cut me off on a bird gobbling that I that I you know that I had coming to me, and and I just you know I. Hey man, I can literally see you walking through the woods. Uh, I'm right here, you know, wave at them. There's, you know, wave back with one finger, you know, and I'm like, all right, here we go. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I Turkey hunters are crazy people. I'll tell you what, the people that are like, 
that's their thing. Like, I, I and trust me, and I say this because one of my are. best buddies. I know we are. Yeah. Y'all are wild, man. One of my best buddies is is uh he's one of the one of you crazy people. And I enjoy it. And I never thought I would enjoy it as much as I did. Yep. Or as I do. But but yeah, y'all y'all are a special breed. I gotta I gotta say. Like I don't know what it is. What it's, I mean, I don't what know is what it? it I don't either. I don't I don't I don't I mean I definitely know a major component of it is the interactivity, right? I mean, just like elk hunting, like yeah, you call an animal response. The hunt, you know, in a sense is on, right? Then you're trying to understand what are all the other variables that are in front of me. I mean, it's a chess match, right? A whitetail hunting is a lot of a chess match, but then it's a lot of just luck. You know, yeah. there just has to, especially bow hunting, you're just got to decide that he's going to come that way that time. And you can, you can increase your luck with a lot of preparation, but Turkey hunting, man, they are just one day they go over here. One day they go over there. One day they gobble. One day they don't One day, I mean, it's just, there is no pattern. It seems. Um, and so you're just looking at all these different variables. You're trying to understand, you know, what time of day it is, how much water, how much rain has there been? Where are they going? Are they want the food? Are they want the water? Do they have hens? How many hens, you know, can you cut them off? Can you get, and it's just, it's running gun. I mean, I, I love it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, like, I, you know, the people listening probably heard me tell this story a bunch of times, but like my turkey hunting experience has been just the goofiest, like shit show to where like every, you know, I spent, I spent a couple of years, like, you know, going out like two years going out and like fully camoed or in the blind and, you know, doing the calling and like the quote unquote proper way to turkey hunt. And I'll tell yeah, you yeah. the only only two time two turkeys I've shot. I got uh I guess it would have been last year. Uh I got my two turkeys um spring season in California. One time I was wearing a, a pair of board short or a pair of uh pair of gym shorts, some crocs, a t and uh I think I put on a t-shirt right after I shot them. Yeah. <laughs> um like I just got word there were turkeys in the driveway. I went up, I knew exactly where they were going because I'd watched them prior several prior days. Ran two properties over, posted up behind a tree and shot him. The other other one, I was in a red, a bright red shirt, a pair of board shorts and flip flops. And Elmer fudded the hell out of that thing. But well, it, you said something that's very important though. Um, that's how you get successful at turkey hunting is is by scouting and watching where they're going and watching what they're doing and spending time out there because you knew where those birds are going. You get in front of them, you cut them off. That's kind of what I was saying earlier. Like mm-hmm. if it's been really dry and you know that it's you know mid-morning uh they're off the hens and they're gobbling and they're not coming to you but they're going towards a water source shut up take you know run 100 yards backwards run 100 yards to your left and run 200 yards down and try to get in front of them uh and catch them coming there because i don't know it's turkey hunting is either the easiest thing that you've ever done or it's impossible Mm -hmm. uh you you either sitting there you're set up you know you got your you're set up you're ready to go call a few times bird flies down right in front of you boom game over it's like <laughs> wow well that that was pretty easy but then the other 45 times that you go um they fly down the other way and they go the other way and they just don't even pay you any attention they're just gobbling just kind of walking around you're like <laughs> well and i mean you can you can again be doing everything right but like you said if you're not in the spot where the turkeys are it's just not gonna happen but if you know exactly where the turkeys are gonna be you can get away with a lot more if you, if they're feeding along and uh, you're able to, you're able to post up, but it's for sure. Yeah. I've had those experiences where I just, my first year I was, 
I could get every hen in a mile, in a damn mile <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> radius to come out to me yeah. and I'd get them to hang out and chill. And they didn't, they didn't even give a crap about me. Like it got to the point where it's so ridiculous. I'm like, all right, screw this. And I'd like stand up and go to move spots or something. They'd look at me and be like, Hmm. And just keep going back to feeding. Mm-hmm. Like you guys suck. They, and then, uh, uh, again, they're either the smartest animal out there or they're the dumbest. I don't know. It just depends what day it is. I don't, I don't really get that, but I mean, I've had, I've had birds, you know, um, have my trigger glove off my trigger hand mm-hmm. and reach to grab a call or something. And immediately, you know, they're 65, 70 yards away and they just zone in like, right. Like, boom, you're like, Oh God, I'm spotted. Mm-hmm. They take off. And I've had birds, you know, again, you know, no mask on, no gloves, no nothing sitting there kind of giving up, you know, for the morning and, all of a sudden, 10 yards behind you, they just sound off and they step right out. And you just <laughs> boom. It's like, wait, what? How did that happen? But well, that was like one of my favorite moments was I'm I'm out, I'm out in my backyard. I'm shooting my bow. I'm just practicing for for season, whatever. I can't remember. It was either like a month before or a month after turkey season uh yep. at that point. But I'm just out, you know, just out tuning my bow. And I kind of catch out of the corner of my eye, see this movement. I'm like, oh, dang, the chickens got out again. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, you know, I, I, I lose my shot and then I look and I'm like, holy shit. There's a couple of uh, a couple of Tom, or Tom, a couple of Jake's. There's like a whole like I swear there's probably like 10, 10 or 12 turkeys just walked right in front of my target and like started feeding around in front of my target. And I'm I like, know. Sons of bitches. Like, they know. They know. They're like, ah, you can't. Every time. I don't know. Every time. Yeah. It was just like, and if I, if I'd waited another second to release that arrow, they would have been walking right in front of it. And I would have had to let down. Like it was just the most. Ridiculous. But it's like, yeah, it's like in South Georgia, we plant a ton of peanuts. Right. And so during the summer, it's an incredible source of, of uh, nutrients for the, for deer uh, high in protein and all that. And uh, these deer walk out and just feed on it all afternoon and you'll see these, you know, growing deer, but you can tell they're four five, six year old. And, you know, they, they're, they've only got, you know, four or five inches of, of velvet, but they're, you know, outside their shoulders, like got mm-hmm. eight, 10 points, you know, they're going to be monsters and you watch them grow and you watch them grow and you watch them grow. And then about three weeks before the season, they just stop. They just stop coming out and yeah. it's, it's, you, you know, they're there, you know, they're in the area. Um, and they just, they just disappear and you're like, and you just see them grow, you know, all the way from like little, little two forks to, you know, probably, <laughs> especially with velvet. There's like, looks like it's oh, a 200 yeah. inch deer. You're like, ah, you know, um, but anyways, yeah, it's, uh, they know what, they know what's up. They know when people start poking around in the woods. <laughs> Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save 
We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. So, man, um, hopping back to the, the hunter recruitment stuff, you know, you mentioned one of the big things for people is just take folks out, you know, and I know a lot of the time we're, we're kind of talking about this beforehand. One of the critical things, honestly, for getting someone out there is, is two things. It's making it fun and making it successful and finding ways to do that. And what is, so say somebody's looking to bring someone out, like they've got a buddy that is interested in hunting or coworker or whatever, what are what are some of the critical things to keep in mind and maybe some suggestions for somebody that's taking someone out for the first time? Maybe it's their first time bringing someone with them even. Yeah, for sure. Um, you, you, you said two very important things, and that's kind of our minimum criterion for success, right, is for everybody to have fun and for everybody to get success uh, in the field. And we're at 100% success so far. Obviously, that probably won't stand, but um, it's been a great start. I would say that the... The most important thing, the most important thing is your attitude. Um, and what I mean by that is if you're not having fun and showing that you're not having fun, the person that's with you is not going to be having fun. If you show that you're having fun and, you know, when they're walking and stepping on every stick in the road that you don't turn around, and be like, hey, come on, man, be quiet. Like, you're just like, you know, hey, stop for a second here. You know, do you notice like when you're walking, you're stepping on these sticks, right? It, to someone that's never hunted literally every little piece of information is new to them. Right. So you can, you know, stop and say, Hey, you know, look at that mushroom. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a morel. Like you can eat that. It's delicious. You know, Oh, watch out. You know, there's a snake or whatever. Like that's poison ivy. Don't step there. Hey, when you're walking, try not to walk in the leaves, walking, you know, here. I mean, it's just like every little tiny thing, you know, this is a scrape. This is what the scrape means. This is what the deer do. They forget that they're not seeing animals at that point. Right. They're, they're just, first of all, they're just happy to be out there. And anytime you're outdoors for me, at least it's, it's an awesome experience. And so your attitude towards what's going on. And, and I, and I think to being honest up front, like if you're in a very low target environment, like you just don't have a lot of deer, mm-hmm. you know, I would say to the person that I'm taking, Hey, you know, I've hunted five years in a row here. I've killed three deer. It's, uh, it's really difficult, but you've had some of the venison that I've shared with you, you know, how rewarding it can be, um, et cetera, et cetera. Right. You just, you just kind of preface them to, to not, you know, think that they're going to sit down and within 10 minutes, the deer is going to walk out and they're going to shoot it. Um, but I think those two things, um, keeping it fun. And, and, and then one last thing, um, don't, don't hunt too long. Um, especially for younger people. You, you, you can't, you can't sit till lunchtime, um, hour and a half to two hours is kind of, especially for younger people, hour and a half to two hours is, is kind of a max attention span and, 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 and new hunters are a lot like young kids, right? They just, they, they haven't done it. They haven't experienced it. They haven't sat in a lock on in zero degree weather with a 20 mile an hour wind for four or five hours, you know, mm-hmm. moving just enough to get, get something to eat and get something to drink. So um, I would say those three things. Well, I, 
it's like it's so critical that you're able to read people too. Like Absolutely. you're able to tell if because you know if somebody's engaged and and understanding the situation. If you're sitting in a blind versus sitting in a tree stand in zero degree weather and unable to move, yeah. you can probably get away with a little bit longer, say in a blind, oh, than yeah. you can. Or if you're walking through the woods, and you know it's your attitude. I like. I don't think that's brought up enough. Is your attitude is so critical, like you were saying, because. You know, say you're sitting in a blind, you're hunting turkey with someone and the, the two you're sitting there and you are just infuriated because you're in your, like your primo spot with your buddy. You're like, yeah, dude, I'm going to show him how badass turkey hunting is because I'm a turkey crazy person. Yeah. And I'm, uh, you know, it's like, oh, this is my primo spot. Well, you know, I, I got some big old toms on the trail cams. This is going to be primo. And then all of a sudden. 100% success. 100% oh, yeah. chance of success. Exactly. <laughs> all of a sudden, all you're getting are like these like little, little teeny jakes and a couple of hens. And you're just like, what the hell is going on? And, and you're getting all irritated. But they're sitting there. They're like, they've never been turkey hunting. Right. They're like holy crap that that bird just fucking came in like they're stoked on seeing a hen and you're just you're like what is this garbage the whole time or they're seeing a jake there and you know maybe the jake fans up a little bit and they're like holy shit that's so yeah, cool yeah. and if you're not able to read that on them and you're sitting there getting irritated they're gonna they're gonna feel like they're missing out on something because you're not seeing those yeah. when in all reality they're having the time of their life and it's that's such a critical thing i'm glad you brought that up yeah, the, the only time that I show frustration uh, in hunting with people are on decisions that I made for the hunt for them. And generally, only reason why I'm even showing that I'm frustrated is to provide an educational component, right? Mm-hmm. Man, we really, dang, we shouldn't have sat here, you know, because I knew the wind wasn't going to be perfect. I knew that we should have done this. This is why we should have done this. Except, and And the whole time they're going... Okay, so we made a mistake. It's not that big of a deal. Like this is why this is what we need to do different next time. And you're just and, and you're educating them. And and again, people, someone that's never been hunting, um, I find a lot of times hasn't been hasn't spent a ton of time just outdoors in general as well. And so there's an unending supply of things that you can talk about with the woods, right? What kind of bird is that? Why is that bird doing that? What kind of tree is that? What is the, you know I mean? It's just like, all right, look at this field. You see how this field's laid out. You see where this ditch comes through. You see where this water source is. You see where this looks like a funnel. You see where this, you know, these peanuts are planted. And you just start talking about all the components of how the animals are going to move through the area. And you're just educating them constantly on hunting. And that's something that, you know, my dad, when I was little, um, always, always, was educating us. It, everything was a test always. Right. In, in a, in a fun way. Like it, yeah. it wasn't like a bad deal, but like when we were little and we would drive on his knee, he would tickle us while we were driving to make us focus on the driving, not on the tickling to, to not, you know, to make sure we weren't worried about distractions mm-hmm. when we were driving that we, we could retain focus. He would play a game when we'd be riding on the tractor for like eight hours, you know, in the afternoon, deer always came out in the field, even though if you're on a tractor and every time that we spotted the deer before him, he would give us $50. Damn. Right. Okay. Because we never spotted the, we never spotted the deer before him. <laughs> you know, the only time, the only time we did, you know, Is he he let us let go. You? yeah, he's like, Oh, what's that over there? Well, like, oh, there's a deer. You didn't see it. He's like, no, I didn't see it. You know, <laughs> um, we would, we would go into the woods and he would, um, 
you know, this is for cell phones or anything, right? He, we would, we would go down deep in the woods and he would say, all right, take us back to the truck, right? Always be aware of your surroundings, always have situational awareness, understand what's going on around you. Um, that's a huge one that, I mean, situational awareness in the woods is, it's kind of a major component when it comes to not getting injured or hurting yourself or getting lost or stuck out in the woods. And I got stuck out in the woods uh, two years ago on a ridge uh, because we were chasing elk and went down to this deep, dark hole. By the time we came out, it was dark and we couldn't find the trail out of there. It was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. I knew better. Um, You know, luckily we had enough stuff in our packs that it wasn't that big of a deal, except for we almost got charged by a grizzly bear, which was, quite terrifying without any firearms. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was, I'm downplaying a little bit. That's pretty terrifying. Um, uh, definitely the closest I've ever been to a bear in, in public I've, or in the wild. I've never hunted bear before. So it was, it was, uh, I think my heart's speeding up just thinking about it. <laughs> my hands are sweating. So um, I kind of, I like, I kind of want to pause for a second and hear this, this whole bear <laughs> story right now. Like I want to hear, I want to yeah. hear about it. Uh, so, um, I guess it was two elk seasons ago. Um, a buddy of mine, Caleb Copeland, um, he owns and and runs Copeland creative. They do a ton of outdoor, uh, digital content work. They're some of the best in the business period, um, based here in Georgia. And one of his, uh, guys, Ryer, uh, and, and I were hunting elk and we were in Idaho, it was the third year in a row I'd been to Idaho and struck out all three times. And um, we finally found the elk on day five. We had six days. We finally found them. And it was in the deepest, darkest, thickest, gnarliest stuff to the point where we were within 40 yards of elk, probably, I don't know, 10 times. And just not even remotely a shot opportunity. Like, so, so you couldn't even see him. You see like a little brown patch, like move through the woods. You know, you're I'm sitting there clipped in with my bow, just like, just turning around. Like, I don't know what I'm going to, I don't, I can't do anything right now. And then yeah. you're trying to back out and work around while they stay in call. So anyways, we play cat and mouse basically from sunup to sundown. Um, there was maybe an hour and a half where they weren't bugling. It was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had aside from, not shooting an elk, but um, we're sitting up on this ridge and sun's starting to get low. We know we've probably got about an hour left. Uh, and one just sounds off probably 150 yards below us. Another one, you know, another one. There's three bulls down there. You can hear stuff just going nuts. It's just, just stuff getting turn shredded. Into war zone. Just, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're like, it's on. Like, we don't even have to call because they're just going after it. So we start going down the space. And, and when I say deep, dark and nasty, you could move like, I mean, 10 feet every 10 minutes. Like it was just all of these deadfalls and just, I mean, terrible, but I'm pretty good shape. I'm going to get after it, you know, whatever. Um, well, of course we get right there, you know, it's too dark. They, they flag off and run up the hill. We see these three bulls that are monsters, uh, a guy killed one the next morning in that exact same area, sitting in the little hay, little grass field at the base. That was a seven by six um, monster, like three seventy, three eighty, or something like that. Anyways, 
we're like, damn, you know, that sucks. We got, you know, we got our maps, we got Onyx, we're cool. We get back up and we're like kind of halfway down the mountain and our trucks are there. Um, Caleb rolls his ankle. So we're like, oh no, like now or now things have changed. So we, we, we know that going down that way is pretty bad. We had set a bike, uh, an e-bike out on a, uh, a trail off the back that was supposed to be just a super easy trail. Okay. We go to that trailhead on the map and we're sitting there down off the, off this mountain and there's nothing. We can't find it. We I bushwhack around for like an hour in the dark. Um, it's so thick that I can't actually walk. I'm just like laying on top of bushes and stuff, like thinking that, Hey, any second, I'm just going to go off a cliff. Um, so we back out and it's, it's, it's just too sketchy. We're like, man, this is, it, it was very steep where we were. And, um, so we can't, we get our little, we got one of those like, uh, Sitka tarps, like, you know, whatever we get yeah. that set up. Um, we knew it was going to get cold that night. Um, but we, the good thing was we had perfect sales service. And, um, so we set this tarp up, wind starts kicking up real bad. We look at the forecast. Of course, it goes from being like 40 that night to 21 or something like that with a 30 mile an hour wind. So we've been hiking all day. We basically got like base layer and, and like a mid layer in our pack yeah. and that's it. But we got this tarp, we got a little fire set up going, we're out of water. We don't have any food. We're just like, this is shitty you know this sucks <laughs> but you know it's part of it it's, i mean whatever it's not that big of a deal um so we get like this good little spot it's like kind of on the back side of this this little outcropping so that the wind's kind of off of us i lay the tarp down in the wind side you know all that stuff the yeah. fire kind of inside the tent retains some heat it's not that bad well after like an hour of sitting there i like i hear ryer over here just like crinkling in his backpack and i'm like what are you doing over here you know and then i can i literally just smell tuna and i'm like i'm like what up i'm like dude you got food like you're not sharing anything <laughs> not even thinking about like maybe fish during you know time that bears are coming out of hibernation it's probably not the best thing to open with this type of wind because it's just gonna i mean go Spread everywhere. everywhere yeah it probably and i'm not kidding it was probably less than 10 minutes before you hear and you just hear and Ryer goes, looks at me and he goes, man, it's really weird. These elk are feeding up here at nighttime. And I go, bro, that's not an elk. I said, I don't know what that is, but it's not an elk. And so Caleb's asleep. So we wake him up and you know, he's like, what, what? I'm like, I think, I think there's a bear. He's like, Hey, no bear. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's a bear. Never seen one in the wild, but I'm pretty sure it's a bear. And uh, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos, and I'm, (laughs) I've seen them at distance, but never like up close. And 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 then you hear just a blowing and trying to clear his nose out and smell. And I was like, oh god. So we're we're like up on this this little drop off, so we can't see down, and no one, everyone's too scared to get up and look down this hill. Finally, it gets too close to the point where Ryer kind of sits up and shines his flashlight, immediately cuts it off and turns and goes, big bear, big bear, big bear, big bear. And we're like, oh, God. So everybody stands up. I had this big pine bough that I took and just threw it on top of the fire and lit it on top of the fire and stood up with it. And everybody stood up and started clapping, started making all this noise. 
And he takes about three steps forward. And I swear to God, his head was like two feet wide. I mean, it was I like I saw his head and I went into adrenaline dump, like lockdown mode. <laughs> like, oh, my God, like pull my knife out. Like, I'm going to do something with that. And I have an arrow in the other hand. We're just like yelling. At this. And he just walks up and he kind of like turns his head and puts his shoulder to us. And from, you know, I, I, again, I don't really know, but that's usually a, a bad sign. Um, and he starts circling us and I'm thinking at any second, he's just going to step in and start swiping. Yeah. And he just circled about 45 degrees, kind of look and just turned and walked off. Um, and uh, we don't know where he went um, because we, we never heard him like, bound off or anything and yeah. we could hear him walking around so needless to say we didn't sleep at all that night um i think i slept like 40 minutes but the next morning we get up and we're walking down to the trail and we walk by what his his it was his den you could see like yeah clearly animal had been in and out of there the trail went right by it and um we get down to <laughs> how far and how far away from that was was your camp the, uh, the den to your camp. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, four yards, maybe. So like um, right there, right there. Like, oh yeah. It was on the other side of the outcropping. We, oh, it was we, on that. I missed that part. Like, Oh dear Lord. Okay. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there was just a little path. Like, cause it was like kind of a, I mean, it was almost vertical. I mean, it's probably like 80 degree, like down. And there was just a little path. You can see his tracks where he came out and walked around and, oh, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I would never forget any second of that. It was, in, it was intense, but it was also pretty awesome. And then we get, so we get down, you know, we're like, Oh God, we got to get something to eat. We got to get some breakfast. We go, we see the guy that kills that elk, like right, right down the mountain that next morning. I mean, probably, you know, we could see where he was from where we yeah. were this monster and he's in there eating breakfast. And we're just like, man, you gotta be shitting me. And then I pull up, <clears throat> um, like, you know, when you pull your phone up, Apple News pops up or something. I don't remember how I saw it, but a grizzly had attacked someone. And we didn't have any, we, we, you know, we were not even really paying attention to anything all day. A grizzly had attacked someone that day, like less than 20 miles from where we were north of us. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, oh, absolutely terrifying. <laughs> absolutely terrifying. But it was incredible. It was it was intense. Oh, man. Don't want to do it again. Don't want to do it again. But it was intense. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Knock on wood, knock on wood. I've yet to have any bear encounters in the woods. Um, 
Hopefully I will have one next time I go out bear hunting, but uh, yeah, exactly. I have not yeah. had any grizzly encounters, but I'll tell you when I was hunting in 2019 here in Montana, there was uh, like seven grizzly attacks or something just stupid. Like, and uh, oh, there's yeah. like five or seven of them. And it was just like one after another. And you just kept hearing about him, kept hearing about him. And my whole family is like sending me these articles. Like, are you okay? <laughs> I'm like, yes, I'm fine. What about the Let's woman? Here. Did, you see, did you see that video on Instagram of that woman that goes in there and punches that bear in California? Oh, the one, her uh, dog. That, yeah, it was like uh, that kind of cinnamon <laughs> looking. Like yeah, it's like that cinnamon looking yeah. brown bear hops up. It's got its uh, yeah. cubs on the wall. And <laughs> like she, oh my gosh, that is, yeah, that's been making its rounds. I was like, damn, I'm, I'm a little I don't, impressed. I wouldn't do that. I'm sorry. I, I do not think not I would have had the balls to have done that. Um, no. I mean, some, some women and their toy dogs, man. I know. God. I mean, that first one, like, what well, was like that big old, that big old dog. And then like, there's like two other, like teeny oh, little ones, like little toy dogs. And I was like, yeah. that little toy dog that you just hear grab and like pick up and run off with. I mean, man, I mean, Cali- California, Los Angeles women and their, and their toy dogs. I'll tell you what. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Y'all have a lot of uh bear and cat. Uh, um encounters in california don't hey, hey so no more of that y'all stuff any uh i'm not included okay. in that yeah. anymore yeah, yeah. anymore fair my enough. driver's license says montana on it okay I'm no longer in california okay. fair enough uh, <laughs> those californias exactly you know the those people what do you mean by those people uh, <laughs> yeah. people that live in california yeah. exactly exactly um <laughs> oh dear lord uh yeah no it is I mean, they just keep removing any ability to hunt predators out there. Like, I mean, I they got rid of the bobcats. Got you know, you can't hunt mountain lions. You can't uh, you can't bait uh, bait bears or hunt them over uh, or hunt them with dogs anymore. And you know, there's no spring season for bears. There's, I mean, it's I I don't know. I've been told different things. I've been told by some people that we pretty much almost never reach our quota for bears every year. And then I've told been told by a lot of people that they they often would reach quota for bears and i don't know how it is because it's i mean with the bear hunting you can it's not a draw you can as long as you've got a license you can buy a tag they're yeah. not super expensive as a resident and as until the quotas reach as many people as one effectively can hunt it um yeah. and i'm not sure i've let's just say i've never seen bear bear tags sell out in the time that i, I you know, you. was yeah. a resident there but um yeah i mean the mountain lions get aggressive. The bears get it. It affects our ungulate populations. It's insane out there. It's absolutely yep. insane. Yeah. I, that's a, probably a whole other conversation for another day, but oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the whole predator prey relationship deal seems to be kind of misunderstood a little bit. Um, but you know, where I'm from, we, no one ever hunted bears. I never even knew that that was a thing. Um, do you guys ha- really have bear populations in Georgia? Like, uh, yeah, massive black bears in North really? Georgia. So, so no North idea. Georgia, yeah. So North Georgia, Eastern Tennessee, Northeast Georgia, Eastern Tennessee, Western Carolina, Western South Carolina, you've got like world record black bears because they don't huh. hibernate and they're agriculture bears. So they eat corn all fall. They don't hibernate, so they eat all year round. And, you know, you've got some, I mean, it's 650, 700 pound black bears, like a good black bear. 
like they're they're up in the eight hundreds, and I don't I don't know what the what the top end is, but they are massive black bears. My Jeez. like my buddy lives in LJ, and he's got a family that just like comes up in his backyard all the time, and he sees them. He's like, yeah, there's see like twenty bears a week walking around. Um, and we've actually got bears in South Georgia, specifically Southeast Georgia, Florida bears. Um, okay. and, um, and, and we had a piece of property, uh, that had a couple bears on it and, um, our new piece of property, we don't know if we have bears because we haven't been able to see the tracks, but our feeders keep getting knocked over and open. <laughs> and, um, it, it, it is connected. It's, it's, uh, there's about 40,000 continuous, contiguous acres, uh, from mm-hmm. landowners. And, and a lot of that is, is kind of swampy, dense hunting land. So we, but we haven't seen any tracks around it. Uh, so we don't really know, but my dad's like, I think you got a bar in here. <laughs> your feed. I'm like, that'd be cool. Um, that'd they, be really they, cool. Uh, yeah. They've got them in middle Georgia now too. Um, black bears, they're kind of growing. So- do they just not, do they not hibernate just because of like the, I mean, it stays generally warm year round. Yep. So you don't get that, that really heavy. Yeah. I mean, no, nah, I mean, it, it gets, you know, North Georgia gets obviously a lot colder than South Georgia, but you know, you, you'll have probably a total of a week in kind of below freezing um, in, in middle of North Georgia, maybe, maybe two weeks uh, South Georgia, you have, a couple of days that it gets below below freezing. Our cold's definitely different because it's a hundred percent humidity cold and yeah, it's like forty degrees outside and you're freezing to death. Um, <laughs> whereas out west, it's like twenty degrees and you got like a little fleece on. You're like, oh, it feels great. Um, yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, it just doesn't get cold enough. Um, hmm. And uh, like I said, we it's massive agricultural. You know, all around all of Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, it's all agricultural. So these these bears, the deer, everything. It's just like full blown. It's, I would say it's like, you know what a Wisconsin or like a Kansas deer looks like compared to like an average whitetail. Yeah. It's the same as like an average black bear and these black bears. They're just like, just like swole up, like waddle around. I'm going to, I'm going to start doing some black bear research for, for the South now, man. That's uh, that a, yeah, Western North Carolina hunter. is a, a hot spot for big, big bears. Huh. And oh, I was saying, like, I've never, never didn't know anyone that hunted bears, never thought about hunting bears. My dad and uh one of his buddies, I think, went on a grizzly hunt back in the 70s and um had success there. Uh his, his buddy did. Um, but I, you know, it was just kind of I never really thought about it. And then I ate bear. Um, I don't know if you know who the rivets are, John and Jen Rivet, uh out of yeah. Canada. Um, like kind of preeminent bear bear people yeah uh and she made some bear stew and let me t- i mean like absolutely unbelievably delicious and i was like man i didn't you know just never even thought and that like made this little switch go off my head like wait so i can kill one animal that's like massive and have all this meat for a long time and it's really good especially on like tacos and stuff which oh yeah i'm a big taco guy and um and it it kind of changed my whole opinion on 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 this and 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 it's funny because that's a lot of the questions being in Atlanta um a lot of the questions I get you know anytime I put a post up or show you know killing an animal people are like well do you eat it yeah would well, you I'm like yes um do you see any of the other stuff I put up because a lot of the meat that I put up is either you know 
beef yeah. or venison or you know chicken or whatever and um you know it, it's it's always kind of a little bit of a realization for people when they you know they 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 when they seek to understand before seeking to be understood right when they start at, start by asking questions instead of telling you what their opinions are on it mm-hmm. and for me i think that's the only way that we have a useful conversation but they say well you know can you eat that and i'm like absolutely Oh, yeah. you know, like, oh, man, I can't think I don't think I could ever kill a bear like, you know, they're whatever, whatever. I'm like, OK, well, I, I thought the same way until I tried one and they're absolutely delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I do a lot of meat sharing um, here in Atlanta. Um, that's another great way to recruit hunters, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, sharing venison. I mean, I have friends over all the time and I take a take back straps and sous vide with some there's this guy called the flip-flop sauce out of california he's you know, a you know, he's a good buddy of mine he just moved to bozeman yeah andy uh, oh I didn't, andy I didn't know andy moved to bozeman yeah yeah he's oh, actually nice. uh, uh he's actually i think came back uh got back into town yesterday he's been out of town oh, and nice. uh, uh i'm supposed to sit down with him probably sometime next week and we're gonna we're gonna lay down oh, an yeah. episode but yeah he's been a he's been a buddy of mine for yeah, a long he's time awesome dude yeah for sure yeah it, well what i don't know what's in that magic sauce he makes but it is i mean i've eaten venison my whole life i've always liked it now it's like all right, we got to ration out these, these back straps and these certain <laughs> ones and, and it's chucked because like, if not, I'm just going to eat them all in a week, man. You sous vide in that sauce mm-hmm. and a little bit of red wine for like two or three hours. And then literally just put it in a cast iron for 45 seconds on either side. It is the best. That is the only way I do back straps. Uh, it does not matter what the, in the sous vide with you know and make a little uh, out of the drippings make a little cream sauce or something and then sear it and that cat dude you're uh, you're my soulmate here with this shit like yeah. I mean, it's I, the only I way i do yeah. it. i introduced my my fiance she'd never eaten deer uh they never you know never hunted or anything mm-hmm. and now like i get home and i see my little you know little paper paper wrapped up you know whole back strap thawing out and i'm like what are you doing? She's like, well, I'm yeah. doing something tonight. I'm like, all right, cool. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a power meal, man. And, and, and so sharing that, and obviously, you know, if that's too technical, get some sausage made. I don't know anyone that doesn't like sausage. Oh yeah. And you feed people venison sausage and they're like, Oh, okay. This, this clicks now. This makes sense. I roll out with those cheddar jalapeno brats that is like oh, the yeah. winning yeah, yes. like it is yes. there's you could take you could take garbage care of your deer in the field and as long as you put the tournament of cheddar jalapeno brats everyone will gobble that stuff up like Absolutely. it is just oh my gosh Absolutely. i'll tell you though i know a lot of people that swear by bear meat a lot of people over venison and i'm talking like people that hunt bear regularly know how to take care of it because it's a little tricky in the field because of the fat yeah but the weirdest thing i've ever had that is incredible is just canned bear meat all right like you're uh, you're not the first person i've heard say that yeah ryan and hillary lampers yeah in a jar ryan and hillary lampers stealthy hunter here in three forks montana they are they're the ones that introduced me to this and it looks like dog food you're going to, you'll be like, it's like dog food and water is what it looks like. Yep. And it tastes absolutely incredible. And it's the best way to preserve it. It lasts forever. You, yep. you jar it up in Mason jars. And yep. so like, look into that. I think they may have instructions for that, uh, 
I'll, I'll have to I'll have to look that up and see. Uh, but the canned bear meat is like the jam. So I'll try anything once. And they had I think the rivets actually had some canned bear meat at uh, that event that I was at where I ate bear the first time. And I think I remember seeing it and like kind of being like, ah, I'm not really sure that's that's what I want. And then by the time I was like, yeah, I'll try it. It, it was gone because people are like freaking ravenous like sucking it down i was like oh well damn so what i mean what's the what's the flavor profile what's the uh it's been a while since i've had it process i I do not uh, i do not trust myself to describe the process or everything (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna look and see if i can find their like method for canning bear meat yeah Uh, i'm sure they've done a podcast on it or something for sure they run the hunt harvest health podcast and um you know they're big into you know the locavore movement and wild game and growing their own vegetables and Mm -hmm. stuff and it's um it's something special i know them and uh uh, brian call have done some stuff on canning bear meat so uh i'll have to i'll have to find that i'll post a link up on the show notes page i'll show it to i'll send it i'll shoot it over to you as well okay Um, cool yeah no i i am that bear that i had that i was just braised with you know deep flavor like you know, your mirepoix, celery, carrots, onions, mm-hmm. and just put on a Traeger and cook down. And it was, I mean, it's like, like pulled pork, except for pulled bear. That was phenomenal. I'll, I'll have to send you the episode I did with, uh, with Ryan recently, just at the beginning of bear season. Uh, Cause that's one of the things we talked about a lot of the different ways to basically make bear super edible and things you can do with it mm-hmm. um ways to take care of it in the field you'll probably get a kick out of that episode and we and one of the cool things about bears with that fat you can render it down in oh, the yeah. field and like so you know you take your bear you still maybe got an evening out you know as you're packing out and it's one of the best meals you can have is you take that bear heart and you you slice it up you render down some of that fat and that's like your dinner for the night that's oh, like yeah. the, oh man absolutely <sighs> Deer heart is deer heart tacos are absolutely phenomenal. I'm I'm thinking I'm uh, this weekend. Uh, uh, I'm gonna have to uh, have to make some uh, make some Elkhart tacos for uh, for the young lady that's coming into into town for a visit. So um, uh, yeah. I think that is going to be the. Uh, I've got, I've also, dude, I've I've got the the back straps already marinating mm-hmm. in the. Uh, <laughs> In the sous vide, um, I've or not in the sous vide yet, uh, but I've got a marinating in the fridge, uh, ready to go for dinner tomorrow night. So I'm gonna throw those in the sous vide. Absolutely. Oh man, you're you're pre- you're speaking my language here for that. But um, it's early I'll, for you, but it's almost lunch for me. I'm starting to get dude, a little hungry. I, I did not have breakfast this morning, and I, and so I'm like, I'm, my mouth is watering thinking <laughs> about it. Like, oh man. I, it's definitely going to be a wild game lunch today. I'll oh have yeah, to, I'll have to thaw out some. Maybe I'll do like a breakfast for lunch thing. I'll thaw out some of my breakfast sausage and do like some eggs, and that's that sounds like a good lunch to me. Dude, one of my favorites is just take uh just take ground venison, brown it with some onions, you know, salt, pepper, whatever seasonings you want. Mm-hmm. Put like like in a in a skillet, and then put three little holes. Drop your eggs in there. Uh, and then fold them in and cook it in that just that bowl right there it's like action jackson all up in your mouth it's nice it's and it's super easy and delicious and takes like you know five minutes to cook so super healthy 
Yes, oh, man. Gosh, I, I think we're just we're just killing ourselves right here with this. Yeah, I know, I know. So, all right, new topic. New oh, topic. man. Yeah. Uh, so anything but discussing a wild game cooking. Uh, I'm actually going to start winding this down with a question here. Um, yeah. You know, back to the back to the hunter recruitment from the other perspective. Now, say you're somebody that you're like, man, I want to get into hunting. And like, like when I started, like I said, I didn't have, I was like in the middle of Los Angeles. I didn't have anyone to reach out to. Mm -hmm. I was finally lucky enough to meet a coworker who got, uh, got me invest a little more invested, but, uh, for a lot of people just don't have that option. And so say somebody does want to get in, like, they're like, man, I would love to be able to do something like that to uh, effectively get mentored him you know, what recommendations would you have for someone to go around that? So a couple, um, first and foremost, you got to take what you got. Um, and luckily nowadays there are more resources online than there have ever been. And there's more stuff coming online every single day. Um, I hunted a lot when I was little, like I said, I, I rifle hunted a lot. Um, and so I didn't understand a lot of the intricacies of, of whitetail hunting and, and, and turkey hunting, and, you know, four, five years ago, I, I just started watching YouTube. I just literally started watching everything, consuming all the information I could try to figure out what are the, the common themes that everybody's saying, looking at, you know, the land that I hunt, how that, how I can apply that to that land, um, talking with my dad, talking with people um, that I know that hunt um, and really spending a lot of time trying to understand educational components before really putting myself out there. Um, I, uh, I, I have, I want to make sure that I can be successful before I start trying to be a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, you gotta, you gotta be able to coach yourself before you, you really want to start trying to coach other people. And unfortunately, there are a lot of resources out there that are coaches that don't really know themselves. Um, and so that's one kind of warning is be careful with with who you're paying attention to. Um, but I mentioned his name before, John Dudley. If you're trying to hunt whitetails, obviously he's he's in Iowa. So those that's those deer operate a certain way. Your area deer may operate a different way. But a lot of the the information that he gives have you can distill out basics in what he's doing and how to set up, you know, your stand, how to set up, what equipment to use, what to wear, when to hunt, looking at the moon, looking at the wind, looking at food, what all those different components, just pay attention to all that stuff and start learning as much as you can. Um, I would say it would, it would not be a wise direction to try and ask somebody to go hunting. If you haven't put in any work at all on the back end to understand anything about what you're getting into, I think it's kind of a cheap way to get into it. And it, it really puts a bad taste in people's mouths when you, you know, Hey, I've never hunted before. don't know anything about it. Can I come hunting with you? It's like, um, okay, well, how about this? You know, let's, let's learn these basics before we go sit in a stand with a gun in our hands. Um, like I said, I, I mean, I did shoot, shoot my deer my first year when I was six, but I had to hunt like, you know, three or four years with my dad. You know, and I can remember being four or five years old and seeing deer and be like, Oh dad, no, let me shoot one and say, no, <laughs> you know, not yet, not until you're six. You know, that's, that's a different experience. But um, the beautiful thing about where we hold the hunter recruitment project is there a lot of, a lot of like 
box blinds, right? So you have a lot of visibility. So you can see deer in all these different areas and you can watch them. You can watch how they move. You can watch what they do. You can watch their body language. And so you use all those, those opportunities as, as a way to educate the person sitting with, you know, and the first deer they see they're they're reaching for their gun. And it's like, well, hold on. That deer's 500 yards away. We're probably not going to attempt that shot right here. Um, but that, that would be the, the biggest thing is, is make yourself, um, at least aware of concepts, make yourself, um, aware of, you know, where to shoot a deer, how to use your, your weapon, how to use your bow, um, you know, get yourself some gear that can sustain you when you're hunting. Obviously, you know, you don't got to have top of the line stuff. I mean, I hunted literally my whole life with like duck boots, which only keep your feet hot when it's hot and keep them cold when it's cold. Um, and like, you know, blue jeans and like a camouflage fleece. I mean, that's basically, I mean, up until, you know, some of these new companies have come out in the last kind of 10 years, that's, that's all there was. There just wasn't a lot of stuff. I mean, wool, he wore a lot of wool, yeah. but, um, you know, I, I think that if you're going to dedicate yourself to taking the life of a, of an animal, you need to be damn serious about it and you can't be flippant and you can't. Uh, you know, come in without really putting your focus towards it, uh, or, or it's, it's somewhat disrespectful in my opinion. Um, and, and I'd say that that's, that's kind of from the, from the opposite side, you know, prepare yourself. I mean, it's just like any other thing that you're going to do, right? I mean, if you're going to run a, you know, participate in a triathlon, you probably ought to practice. You probably ought to learn how to ride the bike. You probably ought to learn how to, you know, provide yourself with the pr- pr- proper nutrition, learn how to swim, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to go out in the woods in a very dangerous sport, right? People don't think deer hunting, sitting in a stand with a rifle is very dangerous. You're not going to know the ins and outs of everything, but take the time to focus on learning before you put yourself in that situation. Awesome. Well, well man, I really appreciate you on such short notice. Uh, joining joining me and uh hopping on this was a fun conversation had a good time yeah no i appreciate the opportunity it's uh it's a great conversation nice nice uh break to to a wednesday <laughs> to actually talk about something that i'm super passionate about there we go all right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. Big thank you to Jamie for hopping on with me on such short notice. Got a pretty busy week coming up, so I was glad we were able to get some time in. Uh, make sure you check out the Hunter Recruitment Project, y'all. And make sure maybe this year, find an opportunity to introduce someone to the outdoors, introduce someone to hunting, fishing, whatever that may be. Reach out to your friends that have shown interest and take that time to get someone new into the outdoors. But y'all that'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this podcast inspired you to get involved, get outdoors and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to the wild initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to the to get show notes. Check out the blog gear discounts, other podcasts from the wild initiative family and more. 